All right. Good morning again. Glad to be back with you on stage. Hey, you know what? Again, I love that video because it's got different scenes of different family. That's the whole point of the next few weeks is how we do family together inside the box. But I like that last one where the, I think it's the little girl is holding up a sign that says, Help. If we could only stand, understand how much God wants us to hold up our sign and say, Help. I mean, He is a helping God. He wants so much to reach down into our lives and help us. And that's kind of like the big picture of this entire series as we talk about um, family inside the box. And the idea being of a toolbox, family toolbox, and family inside the box is that rather than follow the world, rather than look at our friends and say, well, how do they do family? How do they do finance? Or look at other people or circumstances around. We are trying to choose over the next, well, all the way through Father's Day, we're going to look inside the box, and that being inside God's Word, we're going to look inside God's Word to see what it says. Because here's the deal. I know that if you're rebuilding a Ford engine, probably the Bible is not your best source for technical information about rebuilding a Ford 302 engine. But when it comes to life, when it comes to God, when it comes to family, when it comes to finances, all those different things, the Bible has proven itself. Proven itself to be an incredible source of information and knowledge and power that we can apply to our lives. So it just makes sense. If we're going to do family inside the box, if we're going to try to do God's way, we really, really, really seek God's will and God's way. Now today, we're going to look at an incredible topic, I think, and it's actually metamorphed throughout the week, is that um, we're going to talk about time. Talk about time. Let me go over to my toolbox here and... Uh, See what we got here. Hopefully we won't dump all the screws. Yeah, yeah, it's still here. That's great. Good deal. Now, again, as you all know that I, I, uh, have my, I have my license, I have my union card um, in t- tractor driving. Um, about three years ago, um, Danny Evans let me drive his tractor, so I registered and got my card. So I'm a, I'm a tractor driver. Um, and what you really probably don't know that also is that I am a master carpenter. Well, yeah, because, see, I've got the tools. I'm assuming that you've got the tools that kind of makes you a master. And I even know what this is. This is called a tape measure. And it's really cool because this one has a lock on it. And you can hold it out. Have you ever noticed how you hold it out like that and it kind of wants to bend like, like that? About the time you're about ready to hold it up and go six feet, three inches. And, and, and anyone here, can I have a witness? Yeah, yeah, it happens a lot. But anyway, this is really cool. And, and what it does is used for measuring distances, obviously. If you're going to cut a two-by-four or something, you'll know how long to cut it. Now, sometimes that doesn't matter. Like if you're building a brace for a tree and you're going to drive it to the ground, it probably doesn't matter if it's three feet, six, or three feet. It doesn't matter um, at all. But, but when it comes to building stuff, you really need an accurate measurement. That's why, by the way, there's an old saying, if you've never heard it, it's really good. It says, measure once and cut twice. Uh, measure twice and cut once. Just saying. You might want to file that away. So, so we're not going to talk about distance today, but we are going to talk about another measurement. And that measurement is this thing called time. Called time. You know, we are such, we are like so deep, we're up to our eyeballs in time in, the, in our society. Um, one of the questions we still hear frequently is, what time is it? What time is it? What time is it? We were walking in the beach in Dominican Republic, and I happened to have my watch on, and the lady that said something, um, I, she spoke Spanish or German or Russian. All I know was it was not English, but she did point to her wrist, and I said, it's this time. I fear there's no sense me trying to say it was 520 because that wouldn't be a thing. So I went like that. People want to know what time it is. Have you ever noticed, by the way, in stores, 
What's missing? Clocks. I remember when I was younger, almost over every door, there was a clock. And you knew what time it was, you'd go. And here's what the stores figured out. They didn't want you to know what time it was because normally you're looking at the clock to see what time you need to leave. And they didn't want you leaving, so they did away with the clock. So we are definitely like driven by this thing called time. And here's the thing. I'm telling you, it's, it's true, it's true, it's true. Time goes by so fast. Now, if you're 10 today or if you're 8... You know, and I would tell you, does time go by fast? You say, well, no, it doesn't. You know, it takes forever for Christmas to get here. Now, y'all understand, those of us who like maybe like 30, 40, 50, 60, and even up and beyond that, have you figured out how fast time goes by? Has it rocked your world yet that we just had Christmas and New Year's, and we are in the fifth month of this year? In fact, we are halfway through the fifth month of this year. Time goes by so quickly. You know, I, I eat breakfast with Jeremy. And a lot of good stories come out from, from me and Jeremy and our meeting together. And one I think I've shared with you, but I'll share another one to kind of reinforce what I'm trying to say. We were sitting there one day, and, and again, we know a lot about each other because we really quietly share, you know, we share a lot about you know, each other and about our lives and our journey together and things like that. So, so we were talking one day, and I said something about 1972. How, how a important year that was in my life. Because one, I graduated from, from high school. And secondly, four days after I graduated from high school, I joined the Air Force. And that was like a real game changer for me. And then little Jeremy in his little chirpy voice speaks up and says, Oh, I was born in 1972. <laughs> and like I instantly went, old. I said, Jeremy, thank you so much for helping me feel old today. I mean, I could be the dude's dad, you know? And I just don't get that. I just can't believe I'm 61 years old. It's incredible. Well, this week even, we're sitting there, and he was talking about what a wonderful wife. I'm making you points, dude. What a wonderful wife Christy was and how they've loved each other. They've never had another boyfriend, girlfriend, never kissed anybody else. I mean, it was like ooey-gooey stuff, you know? And then we got talking about premarital counseling. And, and he goes, yeah, when Brother Mark was doing our premarital counseling, I said, whoa, whoa. I said, are you telling me that Mark Homschult, the guy who preceded me, was the guy who married you? And he goes, well, yeah. I go, thanks, Jeremy. I feel old again. Again, I didn't miss doing his premarital counseling for about five years. I mean, wow. I mean, I tell you, everywhere you look, there are things that make you feel older. And listen to this. Listen to this. Next, I was trying to get the exact date. Do you know, I, I, would look, I went back and looked at my dad's obituary. I happened to find it in my mom's Bible. And it doesn't list the day he was born. You know, he just kind of started, you know, like nothing. But anyway, so next year sometime, my dad was 62 when he died. And, and somewhere next year, um, I'm going to reach that date where my dad died. Now, dad died when he's 89, you know, well, yeah, that kind of happens. But 62, and so real, it's a real, makes me think, wow, I'm as old as my dad was when he died. Judy and I have now been married longer than my mom and dad were married. I mean, it's just incredible how this time thing works. And you watch. If you haven't experienced it yet, you're going to see time going faster and faster and faster and faster. We keep saying, Jeremy does this too. So what are you going to do with the next 15 years till you die? You know? Wait a minute, Jeremy. Wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, let's at least, let's at least go 20 years. Let's at least go 20 years till I die. You know? It's just how we do things. And I think part of that is life. You know, life 
is just busy. Can I have an amen? Come on. Life is so busy. One of the favorite saying we hear around church, my plate is full. My plate is full. My plate is full. And that is exactly right. You know, I've got a balance beam over here that Danny Evans let me borrow. And you know, it kind of represents the balance of life. And you know, he, when he brought it, he had this on there like that. And you can tell it's a nice old bucket, you know. And, and I realized that if I was going to talk about this today, that that bucket just wasn't big enough. If this represents life and the stuff we cram into life now, that wasn't going to get the job done. Now, back in 1950, when this bucket was made, it probably would have been okay. You know, a few things, you know, we sell on the, back then you sit on the front porch, you drank iced tea, you waved at the neighbors. If the kids played Little League, they have one game a week and one practice a week. Life was just a lot less complicated, but then it got busier. And I said, well, if this is going to be an accurate illustration, well, first off, if it's going to be an accurate illustration, I would have a pickup truck on the stage. But I fear the trustees wouldn't like that. But I did trade up to a five-gallon bucket. Okay? So imagine this represents your life. And this is the balance beam of our life. And so you go over here, you know, you go shopping for different things. And, and like, for instance, I'll get these two at a time to kind of speed things up. You know, I could not find a, a heart pillow. But this, you know, if you're old enough, probably you know, and you got maybe someone you love. One of the things we want to do when we grow up is get married. And so we kind of throw that in the bucket because, you know, your wife, by the way, gentlemen, your wife needs your time. That's really important to them. So we put our, we put our marriage in there in the bucket somewhere. Doesn't impact the balance beam too much. And then, I, by the way, <laughs> thank you, preschool department. I robbed your toys. If, if you went to your Sunday school class and couldn't find something, I've got it. All right? So anyway, so, so, you know, we all have our jobs, you know. We wear our little hats. And I don't know what you do for a living, but we throw that in there like that. Um, and, then, and then an amazing thing happens. These come along. Yeah. And they come like one and two and three. And, and, and see, I was number eight. I was number eight. And let me tell you that happened. My brother, my oldest brother was born. Okay? And he came out, and, and, and mom said, we've got to try again. Seven times later, they were still trying, and then they had me, and mom looked at Austin and said, we're done. There you go. So, you'll get it later on. So anyway, so we have a few of these, and boy, life gets a little more complicated, and we throw that in there, okay? Oh, 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 and then there's this. There are the toys of life. You know, we all want to be able to afford the toys of life, whether it be cars or trucks or homes or boats or RVs. We all want to have our toys. And so, so those have to go in the bucket some. Yeah. And then, oh, and then look here. Look at here. We've got a little God stuff. We've got a little God stuff. You know, you know life, life is richer when we add Jesus to there. And, of course, this represents the Word of God because it is the Word of God and represents church. And we, so we put those things in there also. And then finally, I, I chose this. The piggy bank. This, this, is like, this is like stewardship. This is like retirement. This is like savings. This is like all those pressures that begin when you buy the new truck and the salesman convinces you you can afford it. And then you go back because your wife is jealous because you have a new truck and she's driving a 1923 Model T. And so you go back and buy her a car and the salesman convinces you you can afford that too. 
Okay, then you go, that's when you go to the RV dealer and he convinces you again and again. And you have all this in here and that's so much pressure going on. And you've got all that stuff going on and life gets busier and fuller and more stressed and bigger and fuller and more stressed. And so finally you're going, what do I do? What do I do? Well, that's when I think it's time to look inside the box. Because amazingly, the Bible has a whole lot to say about time. Now, again, if, if you're 10 today, you probably go, well, you know, Dwayne, I think Christmas is too slow. But if you're, you know, if you're like, even like you, you graduated this weekend, you know, a major milestone is coming on in your life. You know, you're 18 years old, 17 years old in your life. If you're 20 and I mean if you're 25 and you've gotten married, all of a sudden babies are coming along. It doesn't take long for life really to speed up, get extremely busy, and get full. And so what we want to do today is we're going to look at two different scriptures. We're going to look at Psalm 90. And Psalm 90 is a unique psalm because most of the psalms were written by David, but this one is written by David. Moses, the man of God. In fact, the title, if you've got your Bibles open already, to Psalm 90, it says, A Psalm of Moses, the man of God. So we're going to look at what Moses had to say about time, okay? And then we're going to go over to, um, to Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't know, and look at finding a very practical application of time. Now, Moses is a really good choice when we talk about time because his life is broken up into three major segments, Okay? You know, Moses, was, they were in Egypt when, they, when Moses was born, and Pharaoh said, all the boys have to die, and, and so his mom and dad hit him and, and didn't want him to die, you know, and so they put him in the river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and he is raised in the household of Pharaoh. He is, he is raised as a son of Pharaoh, so all the Egyptian culture and all the fineries, all that, was poured into Moses, and he lived there for 40 years. Finally, when he was 40 years, he goes, wait a minute, I don't look like these other guys. I look like those guys, pointing to the Egyptian slaves. And so he realized that he was a Hebrew. And so he got tired of the way the, the, the Egyptians were treating the Hebrews, and so he kills one, hides him in the sand. And that leads to bad things. Pharaoh finds out about it, and Pharaoh runs him out of the country. And he spends the next 40 years in the desert. And his life was so simple. He eventually wandered into a, a place where they had sheep, and, and so he became a shepherd, okay? And as that, the bottom line was, he got up in the morning. When the sun came up, he herded sheep. When the sun went down, he slept with the sheep. That was his life. That was his time they lived in. It's real simple. No, no I have to worry about what time is it, none of that. Real simple. And then when another, now think about that, 40 years, 40 years. He's 80 years old now. When finally God speaks to him and says, I want you to go back to Egypt and set my people free. So he does that and Pharaoh says, no, and no, no, no. Finally, yes, get out of here. And he leads the people through the wilderness of, of, of sin for 40 years. That's that's I not have to do sin, it's the name. So he lives for 40 years in the desert and he dies. But he had some incredible insight into time. And we see that in Psalm 90. Now, here's what I want you to watch out for. I want you, and believe me, this is good. We don't watch out, one, our perspective of God. Okay? Secondly, 
our perspective of time. Our perspective of God and our perspective of time. Now, in the first few verses, Moses talks about God. He talks about how big he is. All right, here's what he says. Psalm 90, verse number 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, now we think, we think dwelling place, think um, shelter, think refuge, think Dorothy. Now, I know Dorothy wasn't happy at home, son, because of the, the, the mean old lady that tried to take her dog. I mean, but the bottom line was when she got out there and, you know, wanted to go home, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And, you know, you may get mad at God sometimes. You say, I don't know if I want God to be my dwelling place because he makes some decisions I don't agree with. But the bottom line is, hey, God, you are our dwelling place. You are our shelter. You are our place of safety. You are our refuge. God, we, you are the place we need to go. And when I look back and forth through all the generations, just like the Lane clan up here, those four generations, when I look through the generations, you are faithful throughout the years. Can I have an amen? Faithful through the years. You know, the, the, the hymnist wrote this, great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not as thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, to me. So, so the first thing Moses noted was, is that God is a place of safety and shelter and refuge. And he's faithful throughout the generations. He is consistent. And then he says this. Before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's a powerful God. Moses said, when I think back to who I'm talking about, when I think about who I am, God, you are the one who brought the mountains forth. Hey, 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 God. Now, now you need to remember this. God, you are the one. God, you are the one. God, you are the one who created the world. And when I look at that power and understand that power I understand how well you can be my refuge and my shelter and my dwelling place. And then Moses said, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Here's what he's saying. When I look this way, as far as my finite mind can take me, you're there, God. And when I look in the future, as far as my finite mind can take me, you're there. I love the fact we can't even, because we're so enamored with time, we don't get this. But since God is not bound by time, he's already in your tomorrow. Let me just mess with your mind. That thing you're worried about next week, um, by the way, we'll be doing the kidney stone thing this week sometime. That I can't get it out, it's too big, so they're going to blast it. Okay? It sounds kind of like cool. As long as they put me to sleep when they do it. So, so... I don't know if that's going to be Tuesday or Wednesday or Monday or Thursday or next week. But my God is already there. And the thing that you're all wrapped up and, and all worried about, God's already there. Because God's not bound by time. He, you go that way, you find God. And you go that way, you find God. And guess what? When you're standing in the middle, you find God. And that's our lives. It's God of eternity past, God of eternity future, and us in the middle with God. 
That's where we are today. That's what happens when we think inside the box. Hey, God, you're big enough to be in the past, but God, you're big enough to be in the future. And God, you're right here, right now. Hey, God, I need your help. And he is there. You are God. And then it says this. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. That's kind of cool to know. Now, listen, I, I can't, don't ask me a bunch of questions because I, I can't explain it all. There's a lot about God I can't explain. But I do believe that my time of death is not in the hands of Satan or circumstances or chance or accident. I believe God numbers my days. I believe God calls the shots. And Moses is affirming that. He wanted so bad to go into the promised land, but he sinned and he couldn't. And God said, no, this is the time of your death. So this powerful God who is our dwelling place, he's the one who calls the shots. He knows the day of your death. And then then Moses gives us perspective of how God measures time. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, which is past. In other words, Moses realized that God was not bound by time. He said, God, here's how it plays out. A thousand years is equal to one day in your time. A thousand years is equal to one day as you count time. Tell you what, here, here. Go back to the Crusades. Go back that far, a thousand. A thousand years is right before the Crusades started. That is like one day to God. Like one day to God. He said, he said all right, let me help you here. Or as a watch in the night... As a watch at night. A watch at night was three or four hours. So Moses says, a thousand years to you, God, is like a watch at night, like three or four hours. What's the teaching? Believe it. God is not bound by time. Now, you need to know that. You want to know why you need that? Here's how it goes. God, i got to be a girl for a minute. God, this is Sue. My husband is a jerk. And he is lost. He needs Jesus really bad. So please save him. Amen. We come back in two minutes and go, Okay, God, this is Sue again. And my husband's still a jerk and he's still lost. What are you doing? We go back a week. Hey, God, it's Sue again. Listen, if time is like this, God may choose to answer your prayer in a minute. But don't be surprised. And as we measure time, it takes a while. Do you understand it's only been two days since Jesus resurrected? A thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. You understand? Don't be discouraged thinking Jesus isn't coming back. It's only been a couple of days. Come on now. Come on. So when you pray, keep in mind, God doesn't count time like you. Don't be discouraged. Don't think he's on vacation in Florida. Don't think he's not hearing you. Be patient. He's going to answer you in his time. His time. He goes on and says this. He says, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, and the morning that flourishes and is renewed, and the evening that fades and withers. You know, God sees time like a thousand years, like a day. But here's how we should view time. Like a brand new blade of grass in the morning. We're all green and fresh. And then 
The sun comes up, and the heat of the day it withers, and the evening it dies. We need to see time and its brevity. We need to see time, how quickly it's passing. I, I love to quote, I love to quote Jesus out of context. When people are talking about doing things, I'll say, Well, let me tell you what Jesus told Judas. Whatever thou doest, do quickly. I will tell you the things that God wants us to do in our life, with our families, we need to do quickly because before we know it, we're going to be gone. You've got a little space of time to impact your legacy. You've got a little space in time to impact your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. You've got a little space of time to make a difference in this world, either for your family or for the kingdom of God or both. Act quickly. Because time is going by. Now, in verses 7 through 10, if you weren't careful, if, if you're not discouraged already, but hang with me. If you're not discouraged already, you could really become discouraged. He says this, verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. And when we see anger and wrath there, we're going to see it again in verses 9 and 10. Here's what you've got to remember. This is so cool. In the Old Testament, when the Hebrews thought of God, they did not think of this personal God that we encounter in the New Testament. They, they did see God as, as a, a very powerful, powerful being. I mean, the Jews wouldn't even say the name Elohim because of that. They wouldn't say the name of God because of that. They couldn't see him as a personal God. So as Moses writes, when, when you think of anger and you think of wrath, think about the greatness and the majesty and the power of God. Think, think of it that way. And again, just a little bit of difference. For we are brought to an end by your, by your anger, by your greatness, by your greatness we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. The greatest thing that happens when a lost person begins to recognize the greatness of God. I, I call this life outside of grace. Life outside of grace. It should be very frightening to us. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You understand, outside of God's grace, we should tremble in fear. Outside of God's grace, we should be so afraid. I mean, I don't think, even knowing we do about the cross, we can't comprehend the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on people who reject Jesus Christ in a place called hell. I just don't get it when people go, well, he's already had his hell. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. That, that place of separation from God is a horrible, horrible place. And those who reject Christ will end up there. But you will go there stumbling over the cross. You'll go there stumbling over the gospel. You'll go there stumbling over the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of grace, we should be dismayed about the wrath of God. And it should disturb us. What he writes in verse number 9 and 10. Because it shows us life without purpose and perspective. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end with a sigh or like a sigh. 
The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Even in America that has so much. Even in America where you can afford all the toys and gadgets and and the boats and the RVs. A life who has not discovered purpose and fulfillment is such an empty life. And I think Moses describes that kind of life here. Listen to that verse one more time. The years of our life are 70. Or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but trouble and toil. They are soon gone and we will fly away. We're born. We go to elementary school. We go to middle school. We go to high school. We graduate. Some get a job. Some go to college. Eventually those who go to college graduate and they get a job. And join the ones had a job. Most of us get married. Most desire to get married. Some have been married twice, three times. Eventually, we would most desire to have children. We have our kids. We raise our kids. They leave the house. We retire. We play golf. We get sick and we die. That's about 60 words. And that's life. That's most people. But within that, if we include the perspective of God and the perspective of time, it changes everything. Life becomes full. Life becomes purposeful. Gosh, to see, to see folks go through life without purpose and fulfillment. I, you know, I know because I do so many funerals. And there's a world of difference between a person not only who loved Christ, but fulfilled his purpose that Christ had directed him to in his life. It's, it's truly a celebration. Somewhere beyond even those who know Christ. But the man who, or the woman who truly just lives out Christ. What a huge celebration it is. So he says this in verse number 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Now if you're like me, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Let me read it from the NIV, which is a little bit clearer. If only we knew the power of your anger. Again, keep in mind the power of your glory, the power of your greatness. If only we knew the power of your greatness. The implication is we don't. If only we could begin understanding, God, just how great you are. God, if we just begin to understand how awesome that you are. God, if we just begin to understand how majestic you are. God, God, if we could, if we could, your wrath is as great as... As the fear that is due you. Your greatness is as great as the fear. The reverence that is due you. I'm telling you. When we begin. Listen, listen, listen. When we begin to understand just how great God is. It impacts our perspective of him. And of time. It impacts the perspective of our life here. And what we do with that life. And that's why Moses said. And this is really the core verse I want to get to in this portion. And that is this. So teach us. I actually thought about when the voice said, teach us to pray. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Most advice. A guy who lived 120 years 40 years as a prince of Egypt, 40 years as a shepherd in the backside of the desert, and 40 uh, years leading 
the people of God. His perspective was, God, teach us to number our days. Teach us to realize that our days are numbered. And give us that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing to wake up one day and realize you're 60 years old. And I'm going to tell you, there are times my body feels 60 years old. I stand up and i got bones that creak, and, you know. But inside I'm 35 still. But my body reminds me I'm 60 years old. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy thing to wake up and realize that it's been 40 years since I was 15 years old. You know, a junior or a sophomore in high school. <laughs> I've got time. Let me, I think I've got time. 1969, 1970. I would sing it for you if I'd mess it up. As I was walking down the street one day, a man came up to me and asked me what the time was that was on my watch. Yeah. And I said, does anybody really know what time it is? Does anybody really care? If so, I can't imagine why. We've all got time to cry. You recognize it yet? Yeah, Chicago. You know, this is, we had good music back in the 70s. You guys in the 80s, 90s, no way. That rap thing, I still not figured out. Yeah. Come on. Come on, you guys. Yeah. I was walking down the street one day. A pretty lady looked at me and said her diamond watch had stopped cold dead. And I said, does anyone really know what time it is? Does anybody really care? If so, I can't imagine why we've all got time to cry. And the last verse goes like this. People running everywhere don't know the way to go. Don't know where I am. Can't see past the next step. Don't have to think past the last mile. Have no time to look around. Just run around, run around and think why. Does anybody really know what time it is? Does anyone really care? If so, I can imagine why. We've all got time to die. Back in the 70s, 40 years ago, some crazy rock stars understood more about time than we do. So whether you're 25 or 35 and you've got these kids, whether you're at middle age, 45, your kids are graduating um, from high school and perhaps college, or you find yourself 61 or, or 71 or 81. It's so important we have this perspective of God, how great and how powerful he is, and the perspective of time. Now, I don't know if this is going to work or not. I hope so. As I told you, this is a beam scale. And um, you can see this is totally whacked out. This is our life without the right perspective. This is the life when we cram as much into it, we think we've got to do everything in the world now. This is our life. And this is what I call the long view, the perspective. And see, it doesn't really make much impact. Imagine this being your vision. Well, Dwayne, I, I, look, I look 20 years, I lose 10 years in the future. The long view doesn't have much impact. But the more you move it out, the more impact it begins to have See, it starts bringing it down. And you get all the way out here, it balances. Parents, listen to me. Middle-aged folks, listen to me. When we can look beyond 10 or 15 years, 
and this represents eternity. When we start looking from the very short range to eternity, it changes how we live. It changes how we act. I'm telling you, sir, the best thing you can do to be the daddy and the husband and the grandfather you want to be is to have a view of eternity. Ma'am, the best way to be the best mother you can be, to be the best wife you can be, the best grandmother you can be, is to have this long view of eternity. Not to see life five years, not to see life ten years, but to see life beyond. Beyond. You know, David, from what I could hear, I, I don't hear well very well, but I think they did a great job at Baccalaureate. But as I watched those kids, some were checking their phone, some were like, you know, like this. And I'm going, oh, kids, if you could only see the value of the long view. If you can only see the value of making Christ your Savior, turning from your sin and experiencing God's grace, if you can only see doing life inside the box, how much richer and fuller your life is going to be? How many, how many regrets can you avoid? Every one of us on our well, most of us, have scars on our hands. And I can tell you the story of the scars on my hand. And a lot of them have regrets. This one right here, I was cutting watermelon at my uncle's um, cabin on the river. And my daddy said, don't pull the knife toward you, Dwayne. Push it away. I didn't listen. And I pulled that knife and sliced my thumb. That reminds me of the regret. Why didn't I listen to my dad? And I don't want you to end up. I don't want you to end up five years, ten years, with a broken home, a broken marriage, a regretful life. Saying, I wish... I'd listen to Dad. Do you get it? Do you see it? Now listen, there's power inside the box. I'm not talking about going to church. I mean, great, you know, we would, we would go out. Listen, if church could make an eternal difference by itself, we would go out and rope people and drag them in. And they could experience church and eternal difference. No. It's hearing and applying the word of God. And it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ, of course. So huge. So, Dwayne, real quick, I promise you. Dwayne, what's the practical application? How? How? Well, I'm, it's like saying, you know, what book? But, but let me just give you something. I, I was sitting there earlier this week, and I said, oh, Hebrews chapter 12. This is... This is so illustrated for us in the life of Jesus Christ. Let me read it to you. Therefore, the author of Hebrews says, since we, have, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. That's the generations that Moses was talking about. You know, I never, I try to never single people out. But I was glad y'all applauded for Mama Rita. Because her legacy is incredible. Her life has not always been easy. But she has been so faithful. I've seen it in so many of y'all. That's the privilege of being here 15 years. We've wept together when some have died. But you know the generations I'm talking about. How powerful that is. 
Seeing we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. And some of this stuff is weights. There's nothing wrong with RVs and trucks. But when that truck puts such a financial burden on you. That you, you fuss and fight with your wife because you can't make the payments. When, when, you, when your counter is so chug full of activities for your children that you find yourself getting off on Friday and dreading the weekend because you're dragging yourself to 20 games and six activities, that's, that's not good. It's just not good. The weights that hinder us, make sure your bucket is balanced. And you want to, if you want to have a balanced bucket, keep this in mind. Dwayne, is it wrong with sports? Of course not. Is it wrong with new trucks? No. But keep it in balance. Because look at me, look at me. This crazy world we live in, don't have a clue about this. Your friends will tell you, bring it on. You deserve, you need, you deserve, you need. And we end up with this. And our marriage suffers, our kids suffer. We suffer. But when we keep that eternal view, it balances out. Now listen, I'm not the newcomer on the block. I've got six decades. I can tell you successes and I can tell you failures. And one who's 80 here could make my path pale because I've got more experiences. Lay aside the weight and we don't have time to go on sin. That's a, you know what that is. Avoid the, the things that make your bucket out of balance. Certainly avoid the sin um, that, that affects us. And here's, let us run with endurance, patience, the race that's set before us. I, I went to one of Faith's track meets um, last Thursday. And I think it was Thursday. And, and it was here at Harrisburg. And there's this girl. There are three girls running the two-mile thing. And I watched this girl. All of them were great. The three runners were incredible. But the last girl happened to be from Vienna. And she ran several long-distance events. And here she was. She wasn't fastest. She came in third out of three. But man, she was consistent. You know what it was? She was running with patience. The race set before her. She may not have won, but she finished well. And that's what matters. It does not. It does not matter. When you come to the end of the road. How much you've amassed. It matters how you finish. To have your family. And those who knew you best. Gather at your service. And say he or she. Finished have those children say, he was a good dad. Those grandchildren, he was a good grandfather. He was a good employer. He was a Christ follower. A Christ follower. I told you Jesus really just paid this out for us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. The source, I love that word in this version, this translation. The source and the perfecter of our faith. Here it is. Who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross, 
despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Have you ever wondered how Jesus did it? How did he endure the physical agony of the cross? How did he endure the wrath of his own father? How did he, as holy God, endure becoming sin? Who for the joy that was set before him. Somehow Jesus had the amazing ability to look beyond the cross and the shame and the pain and looked to when one day he would be back in heaven with his father. And if we can do that, we will finish well. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. I just couldn't leave verse 3 out. Almost did. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The author of Hebrews says, Consider Jesus so you won't grow weary and lose heart. In this thing called life, this bucket full of stuff. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Keep your eyes. Consider Jesus who for the joy that was set before you. So what's the bottom line? What's the challenge? As your pastor today, I want to challenge you to keep your perspective on God. We can, our little finite brains cannot comprehend how great He is. But I love the song that neither of the guys sang. God is for us. He is on His children's side. And when I try to parent, when I try to grandparent, when I try to minister, when I try to do life, God is on my side. Can you have an amen? Amen. And keep this, guys. You young parents over here, keep this. Keep the eternal perspective, not the short term. You know, 70, 80 years, it's over like that. It's like the grass that grows in the morning and withers at night. It'll be gone before you know it. 70, 80 years, gone. But this is eternal. This will go on. The legacy of your faithfulness in life through the perspective of eternity lives on in eternity. The perspective of how you do life with the view of eternity lives on in eternity. There probably is, last statement, there probably is no greater teaching than this for life. God, thank you so very much for the privilege of sharing today. First, Father, I pray for my friend here today who has not yet experienced grace. And he or she is in such great danger of having to face your wrath, unforgiven, before your judgment. And Jesus, you died that that did not have to happen. So, Father, I am asking you in Jesus' name for those in this building today that you would draw them, pull them, urge them, behoove them to come and experience your forgiveness through your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, how you love them. 
Jesus, you died for them. Bring them to salvation today. And Father, I know that a whole bunch of people today have experienced that grace and that forgiveness. One Father, help we as your children to see you as you are in your great majesty from eternity to eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Teach us to number our days. Teach us that these days which are so short will be over soon. But what we can do with the eternal perspective will last forever. Help us to be countercultural in this, to go against the flow of society. Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.